Welcome to Yes, the Stripper podcast, a podcast for all sex workers. On this podcast, we'll discuss how classifying each other as people and workers is dangerous to society and marginalized groups of people. We'll also talk about the climate in and outside of the clubs and all the amazing things us sex workers do. I'm so inspired and in awe with each and every one of you, and I'm always excited for what's going to be shared next. I'm your stripper queen from the north, Onyx, and this is Yes, a Stripper podcast. We are almost halfway through the year. Canada Day is just around the corner, and I'm in the middle of packing for my month tour away in Ontario. But before I do go, I wanted to talk about some events that happened to me recently, and what better person to join the conversation than our next guest. They are a reproductive activist, birth worker, sex adjacent, and the host of Dancing Doula podcast. Everyone, please welcome a very good friend of mine and I would say my consultant now, Janelle. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me on, Onyx. This is going to be awesome. I'm so excited. I know. It's going to be great. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It was so funny. We had planned to talk a week ago and I was like, let's do this tomorrow. And then I went to research and I was like, oh my God, my head. (laughs) It was just a lot of questions and like information overload. And I really wanted to take the time to do this properly because it's very important to, I'm sure you and both of myself and with everything that's going on in the world, let's do it right. (laughs) Totally. Um, So yeah, very excited to get into all this with you, but first tell our podcast listeners your pronouns. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Amazing. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Janelle and I have known each other for a few years now. We connected at the studio, Radio Fitness. Um, we kind of have similar backstories with um, addictions and whatnot, which we'll have to get you on another episode to talk about because we have a lot to talk about today, um, <laughs> which include everything doula-related, uh, miscarriages, and with everything going on in our sister country, let's add on abortion with that. Um, this recording has a lot of meaning for myself as well as I get the chance to talk about my recent pregnancy and miscarriage, which was stressful and traumatic. Um, I haven't really opened up about it to anyone, so I may get emotional today, but as I was saying before, what better person to talk to other than a good friend and an experienced doula such as yourself? So tell us what a doula is and why did you become one? Yeah. Oh, I love talking about what doulas are. They're probably one of the most mystified professions out there. But what people don't know, a lot of people don't know, is that being a doula is actually one of the oldest jobs. And it was around before OBGYNs. It was around before midwives. It was around before any birth professional you can think of. There has always been doulas. So historically, the role of a doula was done. It was usually like um, a grandmother, an auntie, a close family relative, a close family friend um, who essentially came in. And it used to be family members because of the way that we used to live. We used to live in with multi multiple generations in one household. We lived in villages with all of our family. Um, we've become quite disconnected with our families in this day and age just due to travel and the Industrial Revolution. Um, but before all that went down, we gave birth um, with our family around. We saw our siblings and our mothers and our grandmothers, everybody give birth, child rear, 
take care of children up until adulthood and start the cycle all over again. So doulas were essentially, it was the label that you would essentially put on the family members that helped people give birth. So they, I, if we look back into the historical text of the word doula, it actually comes from a Greek term, which actually means female servant or female slave. So there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of populations in the in the birth worker community that don't identify with the word doula due to the fact that it does have ties to that word. Um, I've obviously never really taken a lot of offense to that term, but I can absolutely understand why people wouldn't want to be called doula. So some people do appreciate being called birth worker instead. Um, but yeah, so basically in the historical text, we were... Um, we were servants. We we helped people give birth. We helped women or people who were birthing um, to deal with the intensity of contractions. We would go and get people food. We would nurture the person. We would bathe them. We would do whatever they needed to bring this baby earthside. And then afterwards, we would help um, answer questions about, you know, how to raise this tiny little human that we just pushed out of our body somewhere or another. So um, we've always been involved in the family unit. Um, but what happened was, um, as time went on, birth moved into hospitals. It became a very, um, a very uh, isolating experience. Um, people were giving birth um, completely sedated in hospitals, not being conscious at all. The male partner or whoever um, was the child's other parent was not invited into the birth room. They were left out and essentially doctors and health professionals had free roam of, of a person's body while they gave birth. And that got really messed up. And so fast forward to like the the 50s, 60s, and 70s with the women's revolution, um, doula work and home birth specifically was very involved in the women's revolution. Women were taking back their births, choosing where they wanted to give birth, birthing at home, birthing in fields, birthing on communes. It was very hippie <laughs> in, in essence. Um, but that's kind of when the new modern version of the doula um, was birthed, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> um, so yeah, Basically, during that time, um, people decided, hey, let's let's help educate people while they're giving birth. Let's create a profession, a, a professional way of training so that um, we can be prepared for all of the crazy things that happen during birth and we can hold space for people who are giving birth. And so that's kind of when like the modern day doula was formed. And the idea now is that we are um, compensated in some way, shape or form, um, whether that be financially or we barter sometimes or... Like one time I had a client who was a hairdresser and we just traded. I got my hair done for free and I was her doula. <laughs> so like I'm open to that kind of stuff too. I'm very anti-capitalist. So however we can not exchange money, I'm always down for. Um, but yeah, so we're essentially, and, and it's usually expected in this day and age that doulas are trained. Um, there's a multitude of training organizations in the world, but you don't have to be trained to be a doula. Uh, the, do the role of a doula is an unregulated profession. So really anybody can call themselves a doula. Um, so you can become certified in some organizations. Um, some people choose not to do that. I am currently certified and I am trained by an organization called Kappa. Um, but my plan in the next year, because my certification, I've recertified and my certification will lapse next year. So my plan is to actually go and cross train with a really great organization called Capstone Canada, who, um, focuses more on birth and reproductive justice and social justice. So they, um, train you a lot more 
more for dealing with racial disparities and supporting um, marginalized populations in a birth setting. And that's more what I've been moving towards in my career, um, especially just given the political climate of today. I just feel like it's we're, we're needed. We're definitely needed in mm-hmm. that space as well. So, yeah, that's my long-winded answer of what a doula is. <laughs> Sorry, you didn't sign on for that whole novel. No, we love it. We love it. We love it. Um, what made you become a doula um it was actually so this is the story that most people have I feel like that I talked to but it was actually after the birth of my own first child um so yeah I like I had and we'll get into this later but I had gotten pregnant before and I miscarried and then I got pregnant and was pregnant with my daughter and I was really excited to like research all of this stuff about pregnancy and birth and I was planning everything out in my head and then my birth did not go any way that I thought it was going to go and I had heard the word like I've heard about doulas um, a little bit during that pregnancy but I didn't really think to get one I didn't think anything of it and then after I had my daughter I was like I want more like I want to keep learning like I just feel like I've learned so much I want to keep going I don't want this journey to be over and so I sat with it for a long time I also really enjoyed um, breastfeeding or body feeding as we like to say now my kids and so I thought about maybe going on to be a breastfeeding educator and then um, I called up this woman in the city and she was like well I don't do breastfeeding training but I do doula training so you should become a doula first and then you can get into breastfeeding later and I was like okay sounds good and it was you know a weekend course it was like 400 bucks and I was like I'll just do this it'll be like something extra to do like on top of being a parent and when I went to that training and I went through the course I just feel like it was this feeling of like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, this is my job. Holy shit. This is like, literally like, it was so inspiring. I like, couldn't wait to get to work. And I was like, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. So yeah, that's the rest is history, I guess. But I just, I have so much respect for people who find this work without having kids first. Cause there are, I have peers who don't have kids of of their own and don't even plan on having kids, but they found this work and they do it so well. And I'm like, Oh, I, I literally only found it because of my own children. <laughs> oh my goodness. Now everyone has their own thoughts and opinions on natural birth and whatnot. What would you say your philosophy is on natural birth and how do you feel about home births versus hospital? Ooh, births? That's a good one. I didn't think you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I guess um, I want to start off by saying I've kind of changed the way I talk about quote unquote natural birth because um, myself personally, my personal birth journeys, I had two cesareans. Um, They were not planned to be that way. Shit just hit the fan with both. Um, And it was really, really hard for me to kind of comprehend the fact that I had two cesareans and I'm a doula and I'm helping people birth babies vaginally. So um, a big piece of that I feel like was the idea that the way I gave birth was not natural, right? And um, I definitely, I, I, I was like, how can I make it so that like people understand that like giving birth the natural way and the way I think a lot of people think of natural birth, they think no medication, doing a home birth, like you said. Um, how can I make people understand that like all birth is natural um, and it's natural to need certain interventions. It's natural to need certain medications, but also be sure to um, commend and celebrate the people who are able and have the right scenario to do the whole thing in a, in a physiological way. So I've chosen to change my language to physiological birth 
versus um, pharmacological birth. So a physiological birth is a birth where you're relying on mother nature as she intended it. You're um, letting the processes happen naturally. You're um, dealing with your birth in a very physiological way. I also consider physiologic to be like if a midwife were to use certain types of herbs, um, because I definitely think that herbs coming from the ground, a plant that hasn't been altered like pharmaceuticals have, um, definitely kind of coincides a little better with the physiological part of birth. Um, And then I think of pharmacological births, people who need to be induced, people who need cesareans, people who need medication because the pain is too intense. Um, That's kind of the way I see it. So I am, my philosophy is that every single person who gets pregnant can birth their baby vaginally without medication at home, every single person. It is certain scenarios that come up that then transfer people into needing medication or needing pharmaceuticals. So for an example, like if you were to get pregnant and you were due and, and like, you're going to have a baby soon, I'm like, I a hundred percent think that you can birth this baby with no drugs at your house, in your living room, wherever the hell you want to do it. But certain scenarios come up where say you've been up for three days, right? You have not slept a wink for three days because you've been in labor. And that happens a lot. Um, you know, things like epidurals are a freaking like, I, I, I don't want to say godsend because I, I don't want to make, <laughs> I don't like using religious terms anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to unlearn all of that like, toxic religion I experienced growing up. But um, it's like, they, they can literally, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Next episode. <laughs> um, but literally, like, I've seen epidurals, like, totally work in the best way you can imagine and it they allowed that person to give birth vaginally whereas if they didn't have an epidural and they didn't get a few hours of sleep they were going to need a cesarean because they just didn't have the strength to push their baby out at this point right i've seen and i've also seen the other side of it i've seen you know people be like offered an epidural like coffee in a coffee shop like do you need an epidural okay do you want one now okay do you want one now okay do you want one now and it's like shut up i will tell you when i want one right and so like it's hard to say no and then you say yes and then it ends up like derailing your whole birth plan so I've I've seen the good the bad and the ugly and I do truly feel that people are strong humans are fucking strong and we can totally give birth without the assistance of the medical um facilities and the medical tools as long as everything goes the way it's supposed to go right but emergencies are there and high risk happens and for those people like being in the hospital or having any of these tools is really, really great. Um, do I think that the term high risk is labeled too often? Yes, absolutely. I think way too many people are labeled high risk. For an example, um, if you're over 35, you're considered what they call advanced maternal age. And some doctors would consider you high risk. I'm like, there's literally nothing. There's literally nothing that puts you in a higher risk than somebody who's 20. But because of your age and because of old data from the 1940s, they're going to call you high risk, right? I'm like, that's bullshit. Um, do I think that people are misguided when they're low risk? Absolutely. People who are low risk, who have no complications, are sent straight to a specialist to birth their baby. And that's not going to help because those people are going to start using tools that they probably don't need to make their job easier instead of working with you and working with your body and working with the physiology of birth. So I think a lot more people need to consider giving birth at home with a midwife. But I also recognize that there are some people that it just, it doesn't suit their needs. And I've, 
been to a lot of situations where people start off giving birth at home and they need drugs and they go to the hospital and they get them. Everybody thinks it's like some crazy emergency that you've got to transfer to the hospital in the middle. It's really not that big of a deal. Like it's hard. You have to go through a really uncomfortable car ride to the, to the hospital. And there are definitely emergencies where that that's scary for sure. But most of the time it's literally like, okay, things aren't happening and you're getting tired. So let's just go in get some drugs, sleep for a bit and then push your baby out. You know what I mean? Like it's not, I think, I think there's just too much fear at the end of the day. Um, people are scared of birth and it's, it's fear of the unknown. Nobody, not many people can say that they watched a birth before they birthed their own babies. And that's a problem. We all need to see more birth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to add on to that, because I know I'm, I mean, I believe in, what did you call it? Physiological birth. I believe in all that, but I don't know if I can <laughs> go through that pain. <laughs> so how many of your clients who do aim to go for the physiological birth end up doing so? Uh, not, I mean, not as many as you'd think, right? I, like I said, I've been to a lot of transfer situations where they start off and everything's going really well and they stay at home until things get wild or like, yeah, like you said, the pain's too intense or they're exhausted. (laughs) There are some scenarios that can come up too that just make birthing a baby harder. Like if your baby was in a weird position, even if they're not, if their head's down, but like Mm. their head's shifted in a funny way, it can make other parts of your body hurt. It can make things more intense. And in those scenarios, like epidurals are awesome, like really awesome. (laughs) Um, So yeah, a good chunk of them do transfer. I will say that. The other thing too is... um, some people, like, I have a lot of clients that are like, you know, if I need an epidural, I need one. Uh, I'm going to try not to have one, but if I need one, whatever, right? Our epidural rate in our hospitals in Edmonton right now is between 90 and 95%. So 90 and 95% of people who walk into the hospital will have an epidural. So I think the biggest thing with people who don't want an epidural is you've got a birth at home because your stats are not looking good <laughs> as soon as you go into the hospital, you know? Um but that's the thing, like you say, like, I don't know if I can handle the pain. And that's because that's what you've been told so often, right? Like, that's what everybody is told. Look at the movies we watch and the TV shows we watch. It looks like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> and honestly, it's not like that. Like, I mean, it can be. But most of the time when you're giving birth, you're going through a transformative experience. They never show you the early labor where people are like peacefully hanging out at home and like getting excited and packing up their hospital bag if they're transferring. Like that part of it's beautiful, you know, but they just show you like the nitty gritty and like, and, and false. Oh my gosh. I'm actually like considering creating a pop culture birth class where I literally take scenes from movies and, and classes and play them in the class and then be like, okay, this is what's wrong with this. This is what's not right. This is not true. This is not what happens. <laughs> and like teaching people is like, this is how, like our society does a really shitty job at preparing us for birth. And I think a lot of it has to do with the patriarchy a hundred percent, which yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could go off. <laughs> Have you, yeah, well, yeah, I'm kidding. Like I know I knew this one was going to be a long one. I love it. Um, have you ever worked in any interesting birthing locations? Any uncomfortable or awkward? Um, or <laughs> I definitely can think of one scenario that I'll mention. It wasn't in an awkward place. It was, um, so this is the thing, birth and sex, so related. Like they literally are the same systems in our body. The same exact chemicals it takes to create a contraction, it takes to have an orgasm. Like sit with that for a minute. 
Like, right. and we shun people yep. for being sexual and being naked and whatever during birth. I'm like, these are the same fucking things, like the same things. So, um, and uh, like now where I've come, like I've been a doula for, I'm going on seven years now. So I've been doing this a long time and I'm very comfortable with that now. But when I first became a doula, I was like a, slowly trying to like become comfortable with the idea of sex and birth being intertwined. So I had this client, it was the very first home birth I ever attended. So I was a, a baby doula I like to call myself um and she expressed to me while we were doing a prenatal that she read the book orgasmic birth which is the idea that you can have an orgasm when you birth a baby it happens crazy as it sounds it fucking happens and she's like I want to have an orgasmic birth so I'm going to use masturbation and sex and all of this in my birth and I was like cool 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 left her house and was like oh my god what am I gonna do this is gonna be so weird oh my god like I was panicking <laughs> I like called up a few of my mentors and peers I'm like what do I do like this is fucking weird <laughs> and so you know I got a little bit of advice and I had some time to prepare and I was like okay Janelle I'm like shut up like this is this is gonna happen and you're gonna be fine with it so I ended up going to the birth and um it was very intimate it was just me and the couple for most of the birth at their house they had a water birth and um there was a point where they were like, okay, so, you know, the labor hasn't been going that fast. Would you mind stepping into the other room? And I did. And they started doing stuff. It's funny. Cause like, I'm like on my phone answering emails and I keep hearing sounds. And the thing is like contractions and orgasms sound the same too. When somebody has one, like, it's very like, <laughs> like very like, <laughs> like earthy and like grounded. So I was like, I, I'm just going to pretend they're having contractions and it'll be fine. I'm not like intruding on their intimate time, <laughs> but they were clearly not. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that happened and that like kicked things bang. They started contracting like crazy. Things started happening. We called the midwives. They came there. And then when the midwife got there and she got in the pool, she had a vibrator that she would hold on her clip every single contraction she would use the vibrator and it worked really well she had her home birth everything went good and we did a postpartum follow-up after and she was like I would never give birth without my vibrator like this that was the best experience ever the best form of pain relief like imagine like I mean I've I've no like I've used orgasms like when I'm sick or when I have my period for pain control but I never thought about labor and it just makes so much sense so yeah and I just mm -hmm. I was really fucked up after that birth too like I feel like I absorbed some of the energy because I felt so emotional and like I felt like I was having like contractions for days after because I'm just like I'm so in tune with this couple and like I'm really fucked up right now. I started crying at one point. My husband's like, "What's wrong with you?" And I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> it was wild, but and I'm so like, yeah. I, I I got to witness this couple's second baby as well, and I'm friends with them, and I follow them, and. They're very, they'll always hold a very special place in my heart because it was a very intimate experience. But it was, for some people, they would be like, wow, like to be involved. And it's essentially like watching people have sex in a way, you know what I mean? But, and like for me to be yeah. in it in a professional manner and not necessarily get turned on where I very well could have, right? But yeah, it was all very, it, it just really broke me open and it really opened my mind. And I'm very thankful for the experience. It was very strange, but I'm very thankful for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um so uh, i get to hang out with you sometimes because of your demanding <laughs> schedule especially when there are babies about to be born it's like one minute you're here yeah. and the next you're gone so what are your 
on-call hours like and how many clients are you able to take on at once? And with all of that, how do you juggle life as a mom, wife, and new instructor? Ooh, yeah, it's, I mean... This job is not for everybody. It has a very high turnaround. I see a lot of people come in and out of this industry very quickly, and I don't blame them because it is very hard. Basically, um, I go on call when a parent turns 38 weeks and sometimes up until they're 42 because a lot of people go over their due date. It's very normal for that to happen. So during those four weeks, I'm basically by my phone like, okay, I'm going to get the call any day. And it's, it's very, it's hard. Like I have to really adjust everything in my life. Like when I'm taking your classes, for an example, like I've had to talk to Chantel, the mm-hmm. owner and be like, are you cool with me not paying for a session? Because if I get called to a birth, I'm going to have to miss a class. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, we're good. You can just sign up for the ones you can make. And uh, yeah. And then I have to tell you, like, I'm not going to be in class for like two or three weeks because, you know, I've got somebody on call and I need to make sure I'm sleeping and keeping my, um, <laughs> keeping my life normal. <laughs> Sleep is so important. Yeah. Yes, go. Um, yeah. And then the other thing too is like what you do in those four weeks really matters as well. I've been um, like, I, I used to drink a lot. And like I said, like you mentioned, like we could talk, probably talk a lot about my substance abuse issues in my past, but um, I used to drink a lot and I would always get uh, upset because I'm like, oh, I can't drink. I'm on call. Damn it. And sometimes I would like drink anyway. And then I would like, oh my God, get all paranoid thinking I'm going to get called to a birth and I'm hammered or whatever. Um, but I like, since I, I quit drinking for other reasons, but like, it's really, really helped to not be drinking anymore because A, you're putting a lot of shit in your body. That's going to make you feel like garbage the next day. And B, you're not getting a lot of sleep. It interrupts your sleep big time. And so when you're a doula and you might get called to a birth and not get any sleep one night, you need to always be preparing by sleeping extra when you have these clients that are due by eating really good food. I I can't work out really strenuously because if my body is too sore, how am I going to physically support people? I do a lot of physical work. Like I, I squeeze hips and I like help people in positions and I get my hands squeezed so hard. I'm like, how am I going to pull dance after today? (laughs) Um, So yeah, there's a lot of, a, a lot of life adjustments to being on call, but that being said, I really love the schedule too, because I feel like I am a more present parent because I don't work that often. Like I get called to a birth and I'll be maybe working for 24 hours, but then other than that, I'm with my kids all the time. Right. And I I get to stick around. I get to be around from them during the day. I have to like decline all of the extra like school activities because I just don't know if I'm going to make them. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, like, I, I actually really do like being a parent and being a doula. That being said, though, I can only take um, right now. I'm, I'm planning to only take like one to two clients a month, um, maybe three if they're all going to be easy. And by that, I mean like second time parents or people I've been a doula for before because I'm like, you know, everything. I taught you everything the first time. So um, sometimes I can take more. But yeah, right now it's, it's pretty low. I don't take a ton of clients. I will take more when my kids are a little more self-sufficient. Um, but then, yeah. And uh, the other piece in the mix has been me starting to teach out radio, as you know. And so that one's a bit of a challenge as well, but honestly, Chantel, the owner has been really, really good. She's like, you know what? I can put in the class description that you're a doula and you can cancel your class if you need to. And I was like, thank you. That's so nice. Most employers would not allow for that. (laughs) Uh, And I have a really good support system too. I work in a collective called Full Circle Birth Collective. And there's um, labor doulas, there's postpartum doulas, there's childbirth educators, placenta encapsulators, all of these like birthy things. We all are in this collective, but there's about five or six other doulas 
um, or five or six, including me. So I have a lot of support too. So if I had to like send another doula while I was teaching, or if something happened with my kids, then I can do that. I'm really fortunate to have that because a lot of doulas just work solo. So I, for me, I'm like, this will only work if I have a community. If I don't have a community, then I can't do this on my own. It's, it's wild. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love the joy and excitement I hear from your voice when you talk about all of this. You're very passionate about your craft. And I think it's important to have a doula who is as pumped as you are about being a doula. So how would you describe your doula style? My doula style. Well, a lot of people assume that I'm like this like super annoying, loud person just based on my usual personality (laughs) at the birth. I honestly feel like a few times during a consult, I've been not hired because they're like, this bitch is crazy. Like I can't handle that energy in my... (laughs) But what I try to explain to people is I am only like this in my social life. I am actually like very calm when I get into a birth. So the first thing I do is I just get into the space. I say hello. I I get excited for them and then I stop and I listen and I hold space for, you know, a few waves or a few contractions just to kind of get gauge the mood, right? Like what is, what's happening? Are you feeling really uncomfortable at this point? Do I need to intervene and give you some ideas of how to comfort yourself? Or are you doing amazing on your own? And am I intruding too much if I just come in and be like, okay, let's do this now. So, um, usually like I do try to bring a really calm presence and I usually kind of follow the lead of the person who's giving birth and, um, I'll offer up my suggestions when I'm asked to, but for the most part, I I really like to center the person giving birth and, um, make sure that they are calling the shots because that's not typically how birthing people are treated in the hospital. So I'm like, we're going to establish this now. When we get into the hospital, nothing changes. You are the boss. You decide. I am there to tell you if this is your choice or not, which spoiler alert, everything's your choice. (laughs) Um, and you know, I, I have to be sometimes feisty with care providers who don't respect that. That's something that I've stepped into recently. It's, it's a really, really hard thing. There's this term we use called uh, white coat syndrome where people are like kind of feel afraid to voice themselves in front of doctors because they're doctors and they went to school and they're so smart. Right. Um, and white coat syndrome affects people giving birth big time because you just think, Oh, you're a doctor. You know, everything. I'm just going to do what you say. And that's not true. They're not an expert in your body. They haven't lived in your body your whole life. They don't know what makes you feel good and what doesn't make you feel good. They don't know what kind of traumas you've been in the through in the past. Um, so I kind of try to reframe that. Um, but it also definitely hits doulas as well, because we often are not liked a lot by <laughs> doctors and nurses because we're feisty. We're literally there to be like, you can't tell my client she has to do that or he, they have to do that. Like this is their choice. And often we get, you know, people don't like us during the pandemic. We were kept out of the hospitals and I really feel like it was an opportunity. Uh, care providers saw an opportunity to keep us away. So we didn't help people choose their own path. Right. So it's, yeah, it's very uncomfortable. I'm not a confrontational person, but I've learned how to be as politely as possible, but sometimes it's not polite. Sometimes it's just straight up. No, you can't talk to them like this. No, you, this is wrong. Right. I've been through a lot of hiccups though in the process. I've seen a lot of trauma unfold with care providers and I've stood back and not said anything. And I, where I am in my experience and in my life and in my career, I'm like, I can't do that ever again. I have to be that person that saves, not saves the person. Cause I don't want to seem like I'm a, I have a savior, a savior complex, but, um, 
just reminds that person of their power, right? And yeah, stands my ground. So that's where I am now with my, I guess that's my style. I'm feisty, but I'm also grounded. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> uh, I love that you uh, brought up about how everything is our choice, but with what's going on with our sister country, they are definitely going through it. So let's give a quick backstory about what's going on. Um, the Supreme Court overturned a nearly 50-year-old precedent which guaranteed women a right to abortion. Mm-hmm. Backstory done. So, <laughs> so yeah, so fucked up. Um, so abortion rights are unraveling on the same year that most anti-trans laws in history have been proposed and passed. My question is, with the Supreme Court overturning abortion precedents 50 years standing, what do we think the ruling means for their legitimacy of other laws, such as birth control, same-sex marriages, interracial Yeah, marriages? This, it's, it's a very, very dark time for America, and I really feel for everybody in that country. And I think something that's been said a lot that I really agree with is it's not just women or even people who identify as women who have uteruses who are being affected. It's literally everybody. It's white, cis, hetero males are being affected by this. Every single person. And the reason why is because it's not about babies. It's not about saving a fetus or whether a fetus is a baby or not, which I don't think they are, but that's my opinion. It's about control. It's about being able to... It's like it's it's an attack on people with uteruses for sure. Um, but it's it's about control. It's about being able to um, obtain all of the political control. So I feel like I've I've done a lot of my own research and watched a lot of documentaries about the abortion about Roe v. Wade specifically and about abortion access. And um, something historically is um, that it's been used as a political ploy, this pro-choice, pro-life argument. Um, It's never been something that should be in the government's hands. This is a bodily autonomy thing. But throughout history, a lot of people who are Christian, right-wing, very conservative-minded, you know, they, 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 for whatever reason, think it's murder. I've actually seen people quote parts of the Bible that actually justify having an abortion. So I don't buy that shit either, but we all know the Bible is up for interpretation at the end of the day. And it's just a fucking book. But anyway, um, (laughs) apologies and trigger warning for anybody who considers themselves uh, religious. I'm not being very kind, but like I said, my own religious trauma coming out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, so if you look historically at, for an example, the presidents of the United States, um, many of the presidents throughout time, have actually started off their presidency or their campaign being pro-choice, not having an opinion. And it's almost like it's a requirement of the right wing, conservative, Republican, wherever you're at, whatever country you're in, um, to be pro-life and to fight for abortions. If you watch the documentary Roe v. Wade, it's on Netflix, they actually show like the journey of all of the presidents changing to all the Republican presidents changing to pro-life. Um, for an example, Donald Trump, everybody hates Trump. He never like, he, he's actually been uh, like recorded on camera saying that he believes in women's choice. And then as soon as he took his presidency, it was like banish abortion. Like he was very integral in the, in the climb towards, um, 
overturning Roe v. Wade. So it's it's not about babies at this point. It's about politics. It's about power. It's about control. Um, and it's about the patriarchy. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Texas has like a six-week abortion restriction. Like, can you even tell that early well, when you're pregnant? that's the thing. Like, it's, it's, it's actually, that's very, very harmful. I personally, when I first got pregnant, that was the first loss I had. I didn't find out till I was two days over six weeks. I wasn't trying. It just kind mm-hmm. of fucking happened. Whoops. <laughs> so I didn't know. Like, I straight up didn't. I had a few suspicions, but I didn't, like, take them seriously until one day I was like, oh, I should take a test. And, yeah, found out I was that far along. So, like, it's, it's and there's chemical pregnancies. There's mis- miscarriages. There's so many things. Like, it's, it's very, very hard. And not only that, but, like, imagine somebody being assaulted, sexually assaulted. And, like, how triggering it would be to then think that you might be pregnant go out and buy a pregnancy test, take the pregnancy test all while trying to recover from a traumatic experience. Like you probably would put that off until you're seven, eight weeks until you start throwing up and you're like, okay, I can't ignore this anymore. You know what I mean? Like how triggering that it has to be for somebody to go and get a pregnancy test right after they've been assaulted. But that's basically what you're asking people. If you're not going to cover abortions for Mm -hmm. rape or for sexual assault, like it's, it's insane to me. It's, it's yeah. Crazy. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that their health care is not free. So, like, even the low-income people, which are mostly brown and black folks, aren't going to be able to afford a pregnancy test immediately or to, like, travel to go anywhere to get an abortion where it's legal. Yeah, this is very much an attack on on those populations, too. Like, the people who overturned this, the people who are responsible, because it's not just the Supreme Court, it was all, there was years of mobilizing and fundraising and whatnot that led up to this decision. All of those people are racist. Let's be real. They want the white race to to prevail. They, They don't they don't respect um, all of the hardships that have gone on for the marginalized in America. And this is an attack on all those people. It really is. Do you think we'll see deaths and injuries increase in the U.S. because of these new laws? Because systematically it's the poor, like we said, who's yeah. going to suffer. Oh, absolutely. I think that what's going to happen is people are going to get abortions, whether they're legal or not. So what's going to happen is if they can't get a medical abortion in the hospital, they're going to take matters into their own hands. Some people might not have access to the education because abortions can absolutely happen in your home as well. But a lot of people don't have access or resources to the healthy, safe ways in which you can do this at home. So they're going to take matters into their own hands. They're going to use tools that are not safe and they're going to suffer. They might die in the process. And that's what's really scary is that these people are going to get abortions, whether you make them legal or illegal. It's the same thing as drinking. Drinking was illegal for a really long time too. Do you think that stopped people from drinking? (laughs) Um, Like it's, it's, it's going to happen and they're just, they're, they're, what they've done is they have not outlawed abortions. They've outlawed safe abortions. And that's what's really scary. I do follow a lot of accounts who are trying to do what they can to bring education to people who wouldn't otherwise be able to access that on how to medically abort a baby yourself. Um, like through medications you would order through the mail and stuff like that. So I think that at least people are mobilizing and coming together and making that more accessible. But 
I, I worry about even things like ectopic pregnancies where you have a baby that um, implants mm-hmm. outside of the uterus. Like that baby is not viable. That is not a baby. That's literally a mass of cells that's not viable for life. And if a lot of the time with ectopics, if you don't get that surgically removed, you die of infection, of blood loss. Like it's very, very scary to think that some states won't even allow an ectopic pregnancy to be removed. Like that's terrifying. But the thing is, like you said before, it's not going to be white people, white cis women who are going to struggle to get an ectopic pregnancy corrected. They're going to be fine. It's, it's people of color. It's marginalized people. It's trans people who are going to be affected. Exactly. Um, <laughs> wow. Phys- physicians take an oath to do no harm as part of their medical training. You learn about how to stay up to date on the best standards of care for treatment and learn about patient privacy, safety, and how they should have a say in their care based on their values and lived experience. If you were in the U.S. right now, what is the goal for your patients? Do you think the ban forces clinicians to make an impossible choice between upholding their ethical obligation and following the law? Yeah, that is, that's going to be a really big challenge, and I feel for any physicians in the U.S. that are going to have to be faced with that decision because that's like, you know, I know a lot of them are going to continue and they're going to continue quietly. Um, but, and I don't even necessarily worry about lawmakers. I worry about these crazy people that are out there protesting abortions. And the other thing too is like, I mean, mm-hmm. this is the thing. People, a lot of people during this, my husband actually, and I had a conversation about this. I cried when I found out about the decision of Roe v. Wade. And he's like, why are you crying? Like, I understand, like he's, he's sensitive to how sensitive I am about certain things. So he said it in a nicer way than that. Um, but he's like, you know, like Canada's fine. And I'm like, but Canada's not fine. Canada is not fine because sure. Our abortions are legal for now. They're not accessible. We are actually in Alberta. There are no abortion clinics in any rural communities in Alberta. There are certain provinces. There are certain provinces in our country that have zero abortion clinics at all. Um, and like, imagine like people who are on a, a, like a res, like an, um, an indigenous res that are trying to get an abortion and they have to leave their home and go into the city and book an abortion. A lot of them don't have the resources to do that. If they do do that, they're met by protesters outside of the abortion clinics. That happens here all the time. Like I've had clients who have had abortions who've told me I had to deal with people holding dead baby signs outside of the clinic and it was terrible and traumatizing. So there's that. And like, not only that, but we, our rights in Canada are constantly challenged when it comes to abortions and when it comes to childbirth, even like, it's actually a well-known fact that this, to this day, and a lot more in the past, but still to this day, Indigenous women are forced into sterilization a lot of the time. So what that means is um, they Mm -hmm. go in to have a baby and the care provider will tie their tubes without their consent or do something to ensure that they don't have any more babies without their consent. So, you know, people are like, oh, well, we're fine. We're fine. And not only, and the other thing I was, I just realized, I forgot to mention is the fact that we have, so right now we're in a liberal government, but there are 91 um, MPs, members of parliament, and um, I think 75% of them are from the conservative party, um, all want to outlaw abortion in Canada. All want to. It's a well-known fact that the third highest fundraised political party in Alberta, their sole mission is to outlaw abortion in Alberta and in Canada. 
like we are not uh, we're not out of this fight like we're just as in danger as mm-hmm. americans are and so that's why i say to people like we need to be out there we need to be mobilizing we need to be protesting we need to be writing our mps because we can't let that happen here like just because justin trudeau puts on a happy face and says it's fine everyone's gonna be fine we're gonna fight for abortion well guess what dude you might not be in office for long and as soon as it's a conservative government we need to be very scared very scared so Mm -hmm. like i i see even abortion providers here being very scared of that like being worried of okay like i've got to start figuring out how i can do this low key or or not get caught so i don't lose my license but i'm still able to provide the life-saving care life-changing care for all these people yeah well scary scary Mm -hmm. scary times um why do you think some people aren't understanding the depth and breadth of this law in the U.S.? I think at the end of the day, it has to do with conditioning, um, patriarchal conditioning, white supremacist conditioning. People like I think a lot of people who are anti-abortion um, or anti-choice, as I like to refer to them, I think they do genuinely think they're doing a good thing. I do think they genuinely think they're saving, quote unquote, babies' lives. Um, and I think they think that because they've been told that by the systems in place in a lot of um, a lot of the right-wing Christian, evangelical Christianity mm-hmm. circles, right? So I think that I think, and I think that the lawmakers, um, the people who really mobilize the men, the people without uteruses that have no fucking say in any of this, have done a good job at fear mongering and scaring people and th- making people think that we're committing mass murders. Like I, I just think it's a, a real issue of being brainwashed. I, re- I yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. that's the only way I can personally comprehend it. <laughs> but still, I'm like, yeah, it just it makes no sense to me. It just it seems so bizarre. It seems like this isn't even real. Yeah. Uh, like I was saying, like I really can't stand how all of this once again revolves around money as mm-hmm. well. Like low-income workers for the economy always working while the privileged who can afford to travel for what they want resting comfortably yeah. it's yeah. just it's just the yeah. machine it's the machine all over again Hell yeah. <laughs> the more and more world, the life goes on the more and more i'm fucking anti-capitalist i want to like build a commune that's free of money <laughs> we're all everybody birth their babies and have a free birth <laughs> Or I'll have an abortion, like, you know, it's just, I mean, that's so, like, privileged of even me to say that, like, I'd ever be able to do that, where some people, they're like, fuck, if only we could get away from all these rich corporate douchebags. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Okay. So, for those of you who don't know, my partner and I have been trying for a baby, um... I was worried about my age, so that's why yeah, I was I reached out to you to talk about like if like this was going to be a, a complicated pregnancy, if I would get pregnant right away, like just to get some questions answered that I had. Um, yeah, so yeah, you've been with me since day one. So I immediately got pregnant because I was following an app. So it helped me track my, my period and my, um, what do you call that? Ovulation period as well. So that helped immediately, but yeah, like uh, sure <laughs> shot. 
sure to make the body drop. <laughs> a little rage against the machine. Look there for you. <laughs> I love that. But yeah, I, I got pregnant right away and I was very happy the day of. Um, I was actually in a different province when I found out and I kept it a secret from my partner and planned to tell him on Father's Day. Um, bought a cute little Florida Panther jersey onesie to surprise him with. And it's his, it's his favorite... Um, it's his favorite hockey team. So, um, yeah, about week six, I was at my in-laws, and I just felt some weird cramping, and I felt my hands get clammy. I was dizzy, but all really short, so I didn't think anything of it. Other than, like, sweaty hands, I felt that was very weird. So I just, yeah, I just got up to go to the washroom, and then I wiped myself, and there was a lot of blood, nothing like spotting would be and that was cause for concern for me and I was immediately rushed to the hospital and unfortunately the ER there was understaffed so I waited there for about three hours and feeling like things had cleared up I went to go check on myself and like the bleeding had stopped a little bit so I thought you know I could be out of the the woods so I wiped my tears I blew my nose and right then that's when I knew that little perfect ball came right out of me and um, trigger warning for those of you that are listening to this, I was just in hysterical shock. I just dropped to the ground with my pants on the floor just staring at this perfect circle like, (laughs) and then it just deflated. So, and then I locked the door and I just was hysterically on the floor crying for about 30 minutes before someone came to uh, grab me and get everything all cleaned up. But it was just a very, very stressful time. And while I was doing um, the, the writing of like just reliving it, brought up some emotions again. And huh, it's just... At first, I felt like it was just a dream, like it never really happened, and I just wanted to like continue with life as is and go back to normal. But every time, like, there's children around or talking about it, as, as if I don't really know what to say because I don't want to talk about it. It's not uncomfortable for me. It's just like I don't want to relive the experience again. Mm. And yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I'm sharing it with you guys all today because it just seemed like um, a perfect time to do so. And I know there's listeners out there that can relate to my experience as well as yourself. I mean, I was calling you the entire time, like, what do I do? What about this? What about that? And I appreciate you so much for being there for me and that, that, that time of need because... Yeah, for a little while, Tim wasn't even in New Brunswick, and he had flown up on Friday anyways to come see me, so that also helped. But yeah, your support meant a lot to me, so I really appreciate Oh, it's appreciate my pleasure. I, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've told you, I've been through it as well. I went through it twice. It's once before each child, and it's really fucked up every time. Like, it's funny because the second time was a lot worse, like... I almost needed a DNC, which is an abortion procedure. So this whole Roe v. Wade thing is hit different for me as well. Cause I just can't imagine. I mean, I'm very lucky, like literally within 
an hour of needing the surgery, my body did what it needed to do. So like I almost had it. I was like literally in a gown waiting to go in for the surgery. <laughs> so to think that mm. there was a chance that I wouldn't have even had that opportunity to do that is, is really scary, but that's besides the point. Um, you know, I thought that after the first one, I was like thinking, Oh, this would never happen to me again. So I don't ever have to worry about it. And, and, you know, you'd think that it's one of those things that every time it happens, it gets easier. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's the hardest thing that I've ever had to go to go through. I'm sure a lot of people, yourself included would agree. It's the hardest thing that one of the hardest things you've ever had to go through. And it's so, it's so taboo and stigmatized still to this day in our society. I remember when you reached out and you said like, is there anything that anybody like I could have done? Is there anything I could have done to do like earlier on? And that statement in itself is something that every single person I feel like goes through at some point. It was something I did. It was something I ate. It was something I, you know, like I, I did an activity I wasn't supposed to do. I, I like, I did this, I did that. I didn't get prenatal care early enough or whatever. For me, it was, oh, I'm, I, I exercised too early. So during my pregnancies, I was super sedentary in the first trimester because I thought I exercise and that's why I had a loss. Like it's, it's really, really shitty. But what's even more shitty is the fact that people don't understand how common it is, how actually quite normal miscarriage is. It doesn't make it, it doesn't devalue it. It doesn't make it any harder, any less harder. Um, but it is, it's a super normal, super common, super physiological thing to go through. Basically our bodies have viable eggs and non-viable eggs. And some months you shoot out viable eggs and some months you shoot out non-viable eggs. It's literally like kind of like mother nature's selection deciding, okay, this life is not suitable for the outside world. So we're going to finish this now instead of having this child be born with so many disabilities that their quality of life would be garbage. Um, but a lot of us go in thinking it was something I did for me. And this is something that I don't share with a lot of people, but I'm going to say it today. My first loss, I didn't know I was pregnant as I mentioned earlier and I was doing drugs. And so I kept thinking I it's because I did drugs. I'm a terrible person. I'm going to be a terrible mom. Like not understanding that. No, like that, that unfortunately that life was never suitable to make it any further than it did. And that's just the nature of things. And so I, yeah, I blame myself a lot for a long time. And it wasn't until I was pregnant with my second child, I'd gone through my second loss and I went to go visit my midwife and I told her immediately when I walked in, I was like, yeah, because she knew I was pregnant. I had, I had messaged her as soon as I got pregnant and she knew I went through the loss. And so she brought it up right when I got in and said, I'm really, really sorry for what happened. I'm sorry that, you know, I didn't get to see you because we hadn't even met yet at that point. Um, and I was like, well, I did this. I think it was like, well, I, I had ginger and I, you're not supposed to have ginger. Ginger's bad for babies. And she's like, stop it. Seriously, stop it. She's like, nothing you did caused that loss. You need to take the guilt away from yourself. This was something completely out of your control. This is just the way it was meant to happen. And that was incredibly validating. And it really stuck with me. And it's something that I've carried forward now that's, that's my biggest thing with people who have losses. And I, I do, I speak to a lot of people with losses. Um, my second loss, I had announced the, it, because it was late, it was 13 weeks. Um, I had announced the pregnancy already all over social media. So I had to do that real awkward, well, not pregnant anymore post. 
And I was like, I have, I had, I was the way I saw it. I'm like, I have a couple of ways I can just ignore it. And then, you know, people will eventually get it. Right. But I didn't want to deal with people saying congratulations in public and then having to be like, actually, you know, so I'm like, no, I'm going to rip the bandaid off, made a big mm-hmm. post saying that I had a loss. And I kid you not, I must've had like 30 private messages from people saying, you are so brave. I've had a loss too. And I was never brave enough to share. I I felt uncomfortable hearing you say this just makes me feel less broken. And I'm like, holy fuck. I can't believe we live in this world where people, I mean, I understand why people hide it. It is a very, very private thing to go through. And I respect that. But also I can't believe we live in a world where we're not prepared for this. You know what I mean? We're not prepared for the likelihood. One in four of us lose babies. One in four. That's a massive statistic. And that's just like of known pregnancies. Then we have chemical pregnancies where you get your period five days late and you have no idea you were pregnant, but really it's not your period. It's actually technically a loss. Like we don't even count those. Like the statistics is probably way higher, but yet people think they are broken. They don't work because this happened to them and it doesn't happen to anybody. So that's my biggest, my biggest goal when it comes to people who lose babies is reminding them this is a normal thing. It's so shitty. It's so hard. You need to grieve. Absolutely. But it is actually very common and nothing that you should consider abnormal. Like you're not broken. You're not broken. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. All your good words, all your good answers for everything. All of this. Okay, well, with all of that, because I'm sure we could go on on these topics all day long, <laughs> let's finish off by doing a little three on three. I'm just going to ask you some random questions. You can just um, give me whatever answer you feel at the top of your head um, fits the answer. It's nothing that relates to anything. It's just like sure. fresh enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's have yeah. conversation, you know? I like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's time for some rapid fire Q&A. Let's begin the four for one. So if you were to go anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? Ooh, oh, that's a tricky one. Um, I think my first answer is going to be Australia. That's the top of my list. And I want to go to Australia, A, because the weather is just so enticing. I follow people from Australia and I'm so jealous of their beautiful weather. I know there's some very deadly creatures that are there, but I could get, I could deal with that. Like for all like, seven of them. Yeah. <laughs> but I could deal with that. I could deal with that for some nice weather. But also because there's such a huge pole community in Australia, yes. I've always wanted to train with some of the pole celebs out there. So yeah, same, yeah. same, yeah. same, same. uh yeah what is your favorite food on the barbecue on the barbecue steak for sure yeah i like me a nice rare medium rare steak nice and bloody (laughs) (laughs) trigger warning for anybody who's a vegan (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness and finally last question if you were to take Actually, I'll ask you this one. If what, uh, what would your superpower be and why? Ah, I love, I always ask people, I used to ask people this on my podcast all the time, but I don't know what the <laughs> hell I would answer myself. <laughs> um, hmm. I would say I would like to be, it would be a toss up between being able to predict the future and being telepathic. So like being able to read people's thoughts. Um, 
that's what tele- telepathic is, right? It was yes. reading thoughts. <laughs> I always yeah. get the mix, that one mixed up with uh, telekinesis, where you can move things. Yes, um, yes, yes, moving objects. But yeah, I would like to be able to predict the future because I feel like I would not. I would be fucking rich because you know I just play the stocks and like make so much money and give all my money away to people who need it. <laughs> uh, um, or, or yeah, reading people's minds. But I feel like reading people's minds is second because I, some tough thoughts, I feel like I don't have any business hearing. You know what I mean? (laughs) Some things I would love to know, but other times I'm like, no, I don't, I don't need to hear that. Like, you know, what if I like listen to my parents' thoughts and they were talking about like having sex the night before. (laughs) I don't want to hear that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, are there any final thoughts you want to give our audience listeners out there? I don't think so. I just am so appreciative that you chose to have me on your show. Like this has been so great. I've got a lot of thoughts out of my head that needed to be verbally vomited. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you. I enjoyed listening to you. It was amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, do you want to give us um, any of your handles that we can find you on, like your podcast handles, social media handles, Twitter, all that jazz? Yeah. So um, I'm not much of a Facebooker, but you can follow me on Insta, my doula account, where I post a lot of like, um, I, that's where my podcast lived. I haven't recorded any new episodes of my podcast in a really long time, but that's where it lived. So you can find old episodes there. There may or may not be one by the queen of the north miss onyx (laughs) on there (laughs) you're like oh me (laughs) um so that is dancing doula and then i also have a dance account that's just for pole which is dancing jane l um but yeah dancing doula is is where you'll want to follow me if if you're into any of that kind of stuff i do sometimes post my dancing my actual dancing on that page because i'm like it's dancing doula so i have to put some dance on there (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, and then what else i think that yeah oh i also have tiktok which is dancing doula yeg so very similar and then yeah that's basically it i have a website but it's i have a blog but it's still being fixed it's really ugly right now so i don't want to send anybody to that <laughs> all the info you need on social sure. media <laughs> That's right. all right well let's wrap this up shall we if any of you listeners out there are enjoying what you're hearing finally go to our website yes stripperpodcast.com and find those donation buttons because this is a listener funded podcast where we can actually pay our guests and the hosts and it will go a long way to bring in even more special guests maybe people that you may request someday um so yeah head on over to our website yes stripperpodcast.com find those donation buttons and give us all your money Yay! in the meantime i will bid you all adieu um and check on those episodes that will be coming Uh, i guess janelle's episode we're on break right now so you'll be seeing this one in august in august all right (laughs) all right then let's get chatting with you janelle thank you for absorbing this episode of yes a stripper podcast we love your listening yes a stripper podcast is produced by period podcast network Please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast, and please consider donating to help keep this podcast alive. Send your love to paypal.me forward slash yes, a stripper podcast. And that's on period. 
Network. <laughs>